You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. We're glad you're here. We're in a series called Faith of the Flawed. If you're watching online, thank you for watching. Uh, We've been talking about the people in the Bible that messed up. Uh, that really blew it. And we see in the scriptures that, you know, nobody has halos in the Bible. Nobody is perfect. Uh, the, everybody has, you know, mistakes that they make in scripture. And, and the Bible is so transparent, doesn't cover up anything. So we get to see the good moments of the saints and the bad moments of the saints. And I think it really reflects our lives as well. We have these great moments where we're doing so good. And then we have those moments where it looks like we don't even know Jesus. Jesus. You know, we all have those moments. And so we get to see, um, you know, in the scriptures, people that struggle just like us. And that's why Christianity and following Jesus is appealing to me. It's, it's based on reality, not on fantasy. And so when you begin to follow Jesus, you know, you're going to grow in your faith and you're going to do well. You're going to have these great moments, but then you're going to have these down moments as well. And so the scripture teaches us how to overcome and how to deal with those things by the people that we see in scripture. We talked the first week about Noah getting drunk. I mean, he got just just smashed. And uh, then last week we talked about Abraham lying about his wife. And, and today we're going to talk about a man that just said to God, no, thank you. I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. He just absolutely flatly disobeyed the Lord. We're going to talk about Jonah today. And uh, we could say a lot about Jonah. I could get into, you know, like, is this a real story? Every time you open the, the Bible and you come to Jonah, people that aren't like not in the faith or want to like, did this really happen? You know, and we could spend some time talking about that. We're not, we don't have time to do that today. But, you know, some people think it's a metaphor. You know, there was a metaphor that uh, and didn't really happen. Then other people think it's a real story. I just kind of go along with what Jesus said. Jesus said, you know, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish uh, for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth and will be raised from the dead. So when Jesus kind of endorses something, I kind of go along with that, uh, you know, because, you know, it's, you know, Andy Stanley said that, you know, anybody that can predict their death and the resurrection and pull it off, we just kind of go along with whatever he says, you know? So uh, that's kind of where I'm at on that, but we don't have a lot of time to talk about that. But I want to look at uh, the first chapter of Jonah and, uh, and it's four little chapters, but uh, let's read the biggest part of chapter one and then we'll, we'll dive into the application points this morning. Jonah chapter one, verses one through 17. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm rose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and said to, and cried out each to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the ship to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? 
What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they said, what have you done? Then they knew he was, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. Indeed, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So, remarkable story. We all know the story. It's a really, really great story. It's about a prophet who hears God clearly, and the prophet says, I'm not going to do that. He overtly disobeys the Lord. I used to have these, uh, these two uh, Labradors. I had a little uh, Labrador uh, called Sunny, a little yellow lab, and then I had a black lab called Mac, a big old uh, Labrador, and uh, kept them outside in a pen, and uh, they were just really, I loved to, used to run with them, jog with them, and take them to the beach, and they just loved the water. But the thing about these two Labradors is that when I would open the pen to feed them in the morning, uh, you know, I had to get a leash on them, because if they got by me, they were, they were going to take off. And so I'd come up to real uh, tentatively to the gate, make sure that they didn't get away. And, and one morning I, I opened the gate and they busted through there and, and, and they're running as hard as they can for across the yard to the road. They're going to cross the road, go into a, a woods. And I remember yelling at them, Mac, Sonny, stop. And those two labs stopped, turned around and looked at me. And it's almost like they were smiling. And then they turned around and just headed across the road into the woods. And they just defiantly disobeyed what I had asked them to do. And, and you know, Jonah is no Labrador, but he has that attitude. He, has, he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. He has clarity from the Lord. Uh, and it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and the Lord told him exactly what to do. Told him to go to Nineveh and to preach against it. Now, what I think is interesting about that is that Jonah had absolute clarity about what the Lord wanted him to do. Now, I just would just love to have that sometimes. How many have ever been a little confused? Those of you at Millsboro, those of you here in Fenwick Island, how many have ever been confused about the will of God? You don't quite know what to do. You're like trying to hear God. You're praying. You're fasting. Look like you got an eating disorder. You're trying to seek the Lord. And you just can't seem to find what the Lord wants you to do. But the, Jonah knew exactly what he was supposed to do. There was no ambiguity in his mind. He knew what the Lord wanted to do. I remember when I got out of high school, I was uh, really in torment about what I was supposed to do with my life. I mean, I just did not know what to do. I hadn't really planned to go to college. Uh, all I knew in life was I loved Karen. She was beautiful. I wanted to marry her. And I thought I wanted to work for the United Partial System. That was my goal in life. I wanted to be one of those guys that drive the brown truck and have a little brown uniform and deliver packages and, and make a good salary and take care of my wife, Karen. But I, you know, I didn't, I didn't 
know what I was supposed to do. And I remember riding with my mom one day to the grocery store. I just graduated from high school and I was absolutely in torment. I did not know what I was supposed to do with my life. And I had these like ideas, but nothing really, really resonated with me. And I, I didn't really want to be a pastor. My dad was a pastor. I knew that whole gig. I knew that was what that was about. And I really wasn't thinking that's what I wanted to do. But I still had confusion. And maybe you here this morning, maybe you got some confusion about what you're supposed to do in life. You don't know what you're supposed to do. And that was me. I was totally confused. And we had this guy come to our church, the church my dad pastored. We, he had pastored like a Pentecostal charismatic church. And um, we, he had this guy come to our church named Leland Davis. Leland Davis was what they called a prophet. Uh, I had never seen a prophet before. I thought the church was a nonprofit organization. <laughs> but this guy came and he preached a message. Not that good a preacher, really. Uh, but then afterwards, he kind of like just walked around and had these words for people. Maybe some of you have seen that before. And he just prayed for people and had these words. And I remember my aunt, he said some things to my aunt that I like, I knew that was true about her. And that was, he was going to be there Sunday night. He didn't give me a word. So, you know, I wanted to hear the Lord speak to me. And there's a lot of ways to hear the Lord speak to you, but I thought, man, this guy could maybe hear the Lord for me. So that night, Sunday night, I went and I sat on the front row. I had a red suit on, I had sunglasses on. I wanted to make sure he saw me on the front row, you know? And uh, he got done his little sermonette and he came up there and he, he was praying for some people and then he came to me. And he laid his hand on my shoulder and Karen was sitting in another part of the church that, that night and he laid his hand on my shoulder and he said, you are commissioned to the ministry. You're commissioned to preach the word of the Lord. You can go right or you can try to go left, but you are called to preach the word of the Lord. And I, you know, I, I wasn't sure about theologically what that is and what a prophet does and all that. But I just have to tell you at that moment, you know, this is my story. This is what really happened in that moment. There was like something ignited inside of me. I felt a desire to read and study the word like I never had before. I'd come home from work. I worked at a grocery store. I worked at uh, Acme Market stocking shelves at night, uh, the night shift. And I would come home, get some sleep, and I would open up my Bible, start taking courses from a Bible college, and I studied the scriptures. And there was a burning desire in my heart to begin to follow the Lord and to become, do what I'm doing now. So, you know, sometimes, you know, it's a struggle. Trying to find God's will, what God wants you to do, is not always easy. And sometimes it's a struggle. The Bible says we prophesy in part, we know in part, we don't know exactly what we're supposed to do. Now, the Bible tells us stuff. I read the Bible and it gives me ethical and moral guidelines. I know I'm not supposed to commit sexual immorality. I know I'm supposed to pay my taxes. I know I'm supposed to be nice to each other, other people. I know that if somebody offends me and hurts me, I have to forgive them. But, but the specifics of my life... Sometimes it's hard to know what to do. And I bet you some of you right now are in that whirlwind of trying to figure out what God wants you to do. And the Bible says in Psalm 32, he will instruct you and he will guide you with his eye upon you. So the Lord's going to help you to find God's will. That's what, was my, what my mom said to me that day in the car as we were on the way to the grocery store. She said, Danny, the Lord is going to show you and the Lord has a plan for you. 
So those of you in Millsboro, those of you here this morning, I believe that God has a plan for your life. But no, but Jonah knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And, and it, was, it just seemed so easy for him. The Lord said, go to Nineveh and I will show you what you're supposed to do there. Well, Jonah, he wasn't big on that. He wasn't big on that. And so he decided to go the opposite direction. Now, he lived in Israel. And he lived in Israel, and uh, you know he went to this seaport called Joppa. And from Joppa, it's 550 miles east to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. In fact, an interesting thing, you know, for years they didn't they didn't know where Nineveh was, and so some Bible liberals said, you know, it, Nineveh is a made up place; it didn't even exist. And back in about 1850, they're out there digging in, in northern Iraq, and they find Nineveh, this big, big city, just like Noah described about Jonah described. And so he decided not to do that. It was 550 miles to go to Nineveh, but he went to Tarshish. Now that's not where Paul was from in the New Testament. Tarshish is in southern Spain. So he goes to Joppa and Tarshish is all the way at the end of the Mediterranean Sea in southern Spain. And it's 2,500 miles away from where he is. He goes as far away from the will of God as he can. He gets as far away. In fact, we know that that's the furthest western port they had in their day. You couldn't go any further away than that. That was the end of the world. And I guess Jonah felt he could hide there from the Lord. I guess he felt like, you know, if I go there, nobody's going to find me. But Psalm says, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the mountain, the top of the mountain, you're there. If I go to the bottom of the sea, you're there. If I go to the ends of the earth, you're there. I cannot flee from your spirit. And so Jonah is as far away from God's will as he can possibly go. And he runs away from the Lord and he disobeys the Lord. He's not compliant. He's not submitted to the Lord's authority. He's doing what he wants to do. And then the Bible says that when he got on the ship, he was... He went into a deep sleep. He's in the uh, ship there and he's, uh, you know, the, there's this big storm that comes up. And three times it says in the book of Jonah that he was in a deep sleep. He was sleeping. Now, how do you sleep when you're in the midst of a hurricane? How do you sleep? Well, I don't know the answer to that, but it could be, just could be, that Jonah is in this depression you know, when people are depressed, and some of you have experienced that darkness, and I know there was a time, I went through a time of depression, and one of the things that we know about depression is people respond to depression in, in different ways, but one of the ways people escape depression is sleep. They sleep, and they just, I know people that have been depressed that will sleep 15, 16 hours a day. They just sleep, and they go into this cocoon of sleep. And maybe Jonah is depressed and maybe he's sad. Maybe he's, he's depressed because, you know what? What's he going to do in Tarshish? He's a prophet. What's he going to do in Tarshish? Sell vacuum cleaners? What's the man going to do? What's he going to do? Is he going to sell real estate in Tarshish? What's this prophet going to do? He's lost his purpose. And there is a sense of well-being emotionally when you are aligned with God's purpose. When you are doing and I am doing what God has called me to do, it's one of the most uh, wonderful feelings we can have in our hearts because we are aligned with God's purpose. I just wonder if Jonah was depressed, he was, he was sad, if he was in this funk because he was disconnected from the purpose of God. And if you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with, with sadness, listen, that's not an easy thing to solve. There's no like quick answers to that. And, and I'm not going to give you a little quick answer 
But I can tell you this, that one of the ways that you can begin to climb out of that dark hole you're in is to realign yourself with God's purpose. What is God calling you to do? If you're retired, find what God has called you to do. If you are, are changing careers and moving to this community, find God's purpose. Find what God wants you to do. Begin to serve other people and help other people. See, you know, depression and sadness comes from being disconnected from the purpose of God. Listen, God has a purpose for every single one of you. Everybody here at Family Colin this morning, everybody at Millsboro, he has a purpose and plan for you. And when you align yourself with his purpose, that, that purpose of God elevates your spirit and you are not in that dark place that you can find yourself in sometimes. So sometimes people come to me and uh, many, many people over the years and, that are in depression and all that. Boy, I'm so compassionate for that because I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to feel hopeless and that there's no hope for the future and you don't know what you're supposed to do. But I can tell you this, that when you get your heart lined up with the purpose of God, it can lift you, help lift you out of that, that sense of funk and being in depression. So the big question today why did Jonah run from the Lord? Why did he disobey the Lord? Why did he say, I'm not going to do it. I know what you want me to do, but it's not going to happen. What made him do that? Well, I think there's an answer to that, and we can talk about different reasons for that. But I think one of the answers is found in another part of Scripture. Jonah is mentioned one other time in the Old Testament. And he's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 25. In 2 Kings chapter 23 through 25, what we find is, is that uh, Jeroboam II, there's two Jeroboams, Jeroboam II, about 800 years before Christ came to the earth, was a very wicked king in Israel. And Jonah prophesied to this king, because listen to this, Jonah is a patriot, he loves Israel. He wears a t-shirt that says, I love Israel. He loves his people. He loves his people. And he prophesies to this wicked king. And the Lord blesses this wicked king. And it says in uh, verse 23 of 2 Kings 14, this is in your sermon notes. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became the king of Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes. The Lord did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's Jeroboam the first, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet of Gath Hefer. So what that means is, is that while this wicked king is ruling in Israel, Jonah, a prophet, gets a word from the Lord. And the Assyrians had taken over part of Israel's territory. Remember, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. So Assyria has taken over part of the uh, land of Israel. And Jonah prophesies, the Lord's going to give you that land back. And Jeroboam II goes and takes back the land that had been taken by the Assyrians. 
So what that means is, is that we know that Jonah loved his country. Jonah was a Jew to the core. Jonah was an Israelite to the core. He loved the Israelites. He loved his land. He loves his people. He was very, very proud of the land that he came from. And God is asking him to go prophesy to the people that had taken the land that he had prophesied that was supposed to go back to the land of Israel. So he's got a problem here. And if I want to boil it down to its honest truth, Jonah doesn't like Assyrians. He doesn't like Assyrians. He doesn't like them. He wants God to get them. He wants God to blow them up. He wants God to pull the pin out of the hand grenade and throw it over the wall. He wants God to wipe them out. And God is saying, go and tell them to repent. And Jonah knows, he says in chapter 4, if I go and tell them to repent, I know you, God. You're a compassionate, loving God. You're going to forgive them. And you're not going to judge them. And I want you to judge them. That's his problem. Because he doesn't like the Assyrians. He doesn't like them. And here's the thing. God loves people wildly. God loves the people that you'd hate. God loves the people that I don't like. God loves the people that don't line up with my ideology. God loves the people that I don't care for. God loves the people that frustrate you. God loves the people that you want God to get. God loves the people that you think are politically going astray. God loves those people. And Jonah has the same problem that we have because, you know, there's people in this world that frustrate us. That we just think, you know, how could they believe that? How could they think that? How could they say that? Lord, get them. You need to judge them. But Jonah's a story about God loving the people that we don't love. And God said to Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to preach to Nineveh. I want you to go and tell the Assyrians that I love them, that I'll forgive them. And how many know, I'll just give you a little insight on the Assyrians. The Assyrians were like the Taliban of their day. They were awful, awful people. When they conquered a land, they would do these horrendous, I'm not going to even say what they do in public, but if you study the Assyrian military uh, patterns, they were ruthless in how they tortured people, how they deported people, how they abused women and children. These were ugly, ugly people. But how many of you know, how many of you know in Millsboro, how many know in Fenwick Island, that our sin cannot be so dark our sin cannot be so evil that God in his mercy, God in his grace cannot forgive anybody. God can forgive anybody. God can cleanse us of our worst sin. The Bible says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Where you find the darkest sin, the most evil things, God's grace is greater than that. Can you say a big amen? amen. So the problem with Jonah is he didn't... He didn't like Assyrians. Now, that's, that's really not fair, and that's not accurate, because it, it's not that he didn't like Assyrians. He hated Assyrians. He hated them. He despised them. And there is not a person on this planet that God does not despise. There is not. He's a, Jonah is one of the original racists. He's a racist. 
He, he believes his race is superior. He believes that his race is the ultimate race. He believes the Israelites are God's chosen people, and they were, but to model God's love to the rest of the nations. He has elevated his self, his nation, his race above every other race. And racial issues are not new. They are as old as dirt. If you haven't watched, uh, haven't been watching Ken Burns' new series, America and the Holocaust, uh, it's on PBS. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, it came out about a week ago. In 1933, there were 9 million Jews in Europe. In 1933, 9 million Jews in Europe when Hitler came to power in 1993. By 1945, when the war was over, two out of three of those Jewish people had been murdered. Racism and hating other people that are not of our group is as old as this earth. And we need to always guard against it because God loves people that are not in our group. How many have a group? You've got a group. You've got a political group. You've got a socioeconomic group. You know, sometimes rich people look down on poor people. If they just worked a little harder, they'd be better off. Poor people look down on rich people. You know, they're snooty and they're up and they think they're better than we are. Republicans look down on Democrats. Democrats look down on Republicans. You know, listen, there is so much angst in our country right now. That God is calling the church, God is calling us as a church, God is calling Bayshore Community Church in this community to begin to display God's grace toward all people, not just toward some people. Can you say a big amen? amen. Very, very important. Back when Gandhi uh, was in, Indy, in, in India, when he was a student in Calcutta, when he was a student, he was reading, he started reading the Gospels. Gandhi, this Hindu, you know, of course, working for the liberation of uh, India against Britain's imperialism. He's, he's reading the scriptures, trying to find truth, and he reads the gospels, and he likes Jesus. He says, this is good. Jesus loves all people. Jesus cares about the poor. Jesus calls up, cares about the sick. Jesus cares. And this is what we need in India. So one morning, Gandhi put on his best robe and shaved his head, and he went to uh, a church in Calcutta. And when he walked up the steps of the church, the deacon of the church turned away and said, listen, this is, a, this is a church for whites and for high caste Indians, which you are not. And Gandhi turned away, went down the steps and gave up his pursuit of Christianity because of the attitude that the church had towards somebody that was not in their group. Now, I don't know if Gandhi said this. There's some debate about if he really said this, but it's said that Gandhi said, I would be a Christian if it were not for Christians. I want you to know that God wants our church, Bayshore, you're part of a church that loves people and cares about people in our community. We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to preach the scriptures. We're going to preach what the Lord wants us to preach. But we are a church not just for one group. We're not just for this political group, not for that political group, not for just that socioeconomic group. You know, some churches, if you don't have a thousand dollar suit, you can't go to that church. How many know that that's not true of Bayshore? You just have a, have a good t-shirt and a pair of jeans to come to this church. <laughs> How many know that's all right? And if you want to wear a suit, we're all about that too. That's wonderful. We got some guys at our Millsburg campus that wear suits. They come in, bring a little class to our church every Sunday. We like that. But Jonah didn't go to Nineveh because he hated. He hated Assyrians. 
He hated them. He wanted God to judge him. He wanted God to get him. He wanted God to call down the fire. And when God, when he preaches, you know, people talk about the miracle of Jonah, the, 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 uh, the miracle of him in a fish for three days. That is not the miracle. That's not the big miracle. That's a little miracle. The big miracle is 600,000 people in Nineveh, 600,000 of them repented of their sins and turned to God. That's the big miracle. When have you seen where 600,000 people in any city turned to the Lord wholeheartedly? That's the miracle. And Jonah was, you know, you'd think he'd be happy. You know, when, when I preach a you know, good message, the Lord blesses me and God moves, I'm, I'm happy about that. I mean, I'm like, I'm surprised, but I'm happy about that, you know? He's not happy. He's sitting on the hill. He's pouting and he says, Lord, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you'd forgive these people. And God causes a little plant to grow over him. And give him some shade, and then God gives a worm to eat the worm eats the plant, and he's upset about the plant. And he said, Jonah, you're more concerned about your comfort. You're more concerned about this plant than you are about 120 children, 120,000 children. You can't tell their left hand from their right hand. And we're more concerned about our comfort with what we believe. We're more concerned about our comfort than we are about people that God loves and people that God cares about. Yesterday I had a, Karen's at Outer Banks with our family and I'm heading down there after I preach today. And uh, she went down to OBX yesterday and uh, actually Friday she went. So I thought, hey, listen, I'm gonna have a yard sale, you know, use my time. I took, you know, I took everything out of the garage. I, got, I went down to Lowe's and bought me a, a sign, $10 yard garage sale sign, put it in the ground there, drug two big old tables out there from our back deck and you know, all kinds of stuff. I got my garage and tools that I don't want to use anymore and, and, and garden equipment that I got garden equipment, but I don't want to do it anymore. I want somebody else to do it. So I got all that stuff out there. And I had it out there on Friday. Everybody rode by, rode by, rode by. Nobody stopped. Everybody, every once in a while, people slow down. They take a good look, and then they squeal their tires and take <laughs> off. So finally, finally, on Saturday afternoon, nobody stopped. This guy stopped. Big old pickup truck. I mean, one of those, like, $80,000 pickup trucks. So you have to have an elevator to get in the cab. You know, one of those big trucks. And I had a beach chair out there. It's a nice beach chair. You know, we had too many beach chairs. We got all these beach chairs, and we have some for our friends when they come visit us. We got these, all these beach chairs. So I said, Karen, we got too many beach chairs. Let's get rid of some of these beach chairs. I, like a, I want an uncluttered garage. So we set this beach chair out there. It's nice. It's like white and blue. It's got a little, uh, you know, uh, oak, uh, little handles on it, a little plane for your cup holder. This guy comes up there, and he says, how much you want for the beach chair? I said, $5. He said, $5. Five dollars. Oh, man, he was like, you know, putting his head down. I'm walking with him, you know, back to where there's up. And I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything. He said, five dollars. I said, yeah, five dollars. <laughs> what the world? I see your truck, man. You know, five dollars. He said, all right, you got change for a 20. And he pulls out. He pulls out a wad of money. I mean a wad of money. He's got one of them little clips. I mean that is a wad of money. And he pulls a $20 bill out of that wad and hands it to me. I run in the house. I can't find any change. So I come back. I said, 
I can't find any change. I said, what do you got? You got a couple ones there, I saw some ones. He gave me $2. (laughs) $2. for the A good chair. I mean a good chair. He drove off. And I'm I'm $8 in the hole. I spent $10 on a sign. But you know what the problem is? Is when we look at people, we don't see their real value. We don't treat them the way they're supposed to be treated. We don't treat people of a different race that are different than us. We don't, you know, back in World War II, when the Japanese attacked, you know, uh, Pearl Harbor, we rounded up all the Japanese people in America and put them in compounds. You see little pictures of little Japanese boys, nicely dressed, raised in America, put in a, put in a, in a fence. You know, we, we have to always guard against racism. We have to guard against it. And I tell you what, I worry about, I worry about this militantness that gets in the church sometimes. We're militant politically, militant politically. And boy, man, we hate people that aren't of our particular party. Let me tell you something, I don't agree with everybody in politics and we're not going to get into all that, but I'll tell you what, God's called me to love people and to be informed, to be a person of dialogue, a person that votes intelligently, but God has never given me permission to hate somebody that disagrees with what I believe. And I'll tell you what, it's really popular in America. It's really popular in churches to say, man, we're going we're gonna to get on this hobby horse and we're going to ride this hobby horse. But let me tell you something, that's the Jonah spirit. Jonah hated those people and God loved the people that he hated. God loves the people that frustrate you. God loves the people that you just wish God would get them. And if you look at the story, you see God's wonderful grace. Not only does he love the Assyrians, not only does he love the Ninevites, he loves this confused prophet as well. That's why when he got into the belly of the fish and the fish vomited him out and the Lord came to him, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. You know, we could have just, you know, if I was God, I'd just get another prophet. Jonah, knock yourself out. Go to, go to Tarshish if you want. I got all kinds of prophets. But God in his loving grace, He nurtures this confused prophet and he helps him to see what he needs to see. God is merciful for you. God is merciful with me. God is merciful with me in my sins. God is merciful with me in my confusion. God is merciful and God could have put me aside many times, but God in his loving, nurturing grace is the one that restores and helps us. So the story of Jonah It's a big, big, it's a big story that gets our heart. I'll close with this. There was, Jesus was passing through Jericho in Luke chapter 19. He comes through there. The man that was hated the most in the city, the man that everybody hated, Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector there. He was, you know, he was the worst of the worst. Everybody hated him. Everybody despised him. Nobody ever invited Zacchaeus to any parties. You know, anytime there was a beach party, he was excluded. Anytime there was a Christmas party, he was excluded. Zacchaeus was the outlier. 
And Jesus is coming through this town, and there's all kinds of people there he could minister to. And Zacchaeus, this tax collector, although he had all the money, he didn't have any friends, and he was, something was missing in his life. You can have all the money in the world, you can have all the resources in the world, but if you don't have Jesus as the center of your life, something's fundamentally missing. And so this little short tax collector, he climbs up a tree, and he's in the branches of the tree, and Jesus goes to the tree that has the man in the tree that everybody hates. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down. This day, salvation has come to your house. This day, salvation has come to your house. I want to ask you, who is in your tree? Is it a political person, a political party? Is it a, is it a certain race of people? It is a certain, you know, uh, ideological group of people in the tree. Whoever's in your tree that you don't like, that's the tree that Jesus comes to. That's the person he cares about. And his story ends, and this is, this is ironic. We don't know what happens in the story. We have the story ending with God confronting Jonah about being mad about the plant. We don't know what Jonah did. We don't know if he got his head right. It's left hanging. And the reason the book is left hanging is because it poses a question to every single one of us. And the question is, is your heart as far away from God's heart as Tarshish is from Nineveh? Is your heart as far away from God's heart as Tarshish is from Nineveh? Would you lift your hands? Everybody at Bayshore, everybody at Femke Island right now, everybody at Millsboro, let's lift our hands. Lord, we're guilty of this. Racism, prejudice is, is seeking in the corners of our hearts, Lord. God, help us to become a model of what faith is in our community. Help us to teach the word. Help us to live the word in a way that is in alignment with your heart. I thank you for this church in Femic Island. You planted this church right in this community, right here for a divine purpose, to model what love is, to model what Jesus is like. You planted Millsboro, right where it is, to model what Jesus is like. And Lord, we thank you that you love us unreservedly. And pray this with me out loud as Pastor Chase comes. Say this with me, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your patience and your love that you poured out toward me. Let my heart be patient and loving toward all the people that you care about. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.